Hello. Welcome to the Market Weekly Podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Pamela Hegarty, Portfolio Manager of our Disruptive Technology Strategies. Welcome, Pamela. Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here with you today. One of the many interesting consequences, if you will, of the pandemic uh, has been the increased involvement, uh, a meshing of the technology sector in all our lives. Uh, even before the pandemic, we probably all thought that there was uh, a lot of technology dealing with, with smartphones and everything else. But of course, now uh, we're working remotely and have even more technology. If you see that, certainly in the performance of tech shares, which have more than doubled since the lows in the market in March 2019. At the same time, we have this growth, uh, and we also have a lot of innovation, a lot of developments, a lot of challenges. Let's start off with one of those challenges, Pamela. What do you see as the outlook for regulation in the U.S.? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's something we're watching very closely. And I think um, one of the things about the U.S. is the uh, political landscape is very uh, bifurcated right now, you know, Democrats versus Republicans. Uh, both parties, though, do agree uh, on the idea of tech regulation. So that is one of the very few bipartisan issues. Uh, that said, each party has different motivations for wanting to regulate the tech sector. I think in general, um, you know, the Democrats are more concerned about market power and the effect on other competitors and on consumers. I think many Republicans share those concerns, but they also have um, the perception of a somewhat liberal bias in the um, big social media platform. So it'll be very interesting to see how the handful of bills that were introduced into the legislature will will play out over time. And so um, it's I don't think it's a, a slam dunk and it's difficult to assess the timing. One other aspect is I believe that the uh, the Federal Trade Commission in the United States has the authority to implement rules outside of the legislative process. So you could see some, you know, progress on that front faster. You know, the, the U.S. Senate and House are very busy trying to pass infrastructure and uh, the budget bill for the government. So in the short term, I don't expect any major development. And of course, it would be real interesting to see what happens after the midterms and if, in fact, Republicans uh, do gain control of, of one or both of the houses and what that might imply for the changes proposed in regulation. Uh, so aside from the U.S., uh, the other place where we're seeing, again, perhaps surprising moves on the regulatory front is China and has clearly had significant impact on the stock prices over the last uh, several weeks. What's going on there? Yes, it's um, it's an area of also great concern uh, in the short term. And in China, of course, with a more de deterministic government, things can get done much faster on the regulatory front. So you're seeing a clampdown on everything from data privacy uh, with the new law going into effect at the beginning of the month, um, as well as a focus on various social issues. So we collaborate with our colleagues on the China equity team and on the emerging markets equity teams here within BNP. And they see the government really concerned about social issues, including equality, demographics, and, and national security. And so I think we will continue to see uh, more uh, regulations on companies in, in industries such as the internet, e-commerce, uh, payments, you know, digital payments, uh, as well as gaming. So it's uh, somewhat uncertain, but I do think in the end that the 
government of China will strive to balance um, innovation with uh, regulation. And I don't think that they would go so far as to, you know, clamp down so hard that the innovation would uh, would slow. But it's uh, something we're watching very closely. And, you know, our teams are looking at potentially uh, incrementally shifting into names in industries that are less targeted by the regulations. So it's it's a very fluid situation. And uh, I think more of a short-term or near-term issue than even the U.S. tech regulation is. Well, I'd imagine that's quite a challenge for the government because on one hand, uh, they promoted this uh, internal development strategy, uh, dual circulation strategy, I think it's called. And it's, from what I understand, a focus on developing capabilities within the country. But you're right, then you can't go so far as to stifle that innovation. Otherwise, it would seem uh, it wouldn't succeed. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And so we're we're watching it closely, and we do think you know areas perhaps like semiconductors and maybe even um, IT services and things like that might be uh, less impacted by the current regulatory push. Well, that's a perfect segue. Thank you, Pamela. And my next question, it was actually going to be about semiconductors. Uh, another big surprise has been the shortage that we've seen uh, in semiconductors, significant impact certainly on the auto sector. Uh, also surprised that it's, it's dragging on so long and it seems like it's going to persist for quite a while. Uh, you now have discussions of you know U.S. and European governments wanting to build their, their capacity uh, in the sector so that they're not quite so dependent on production elsewhere. Um, in general, where are we in the semiconductor cycle and how realistic are those plans to, to rebuild, if you will, capacity outside of Asia? Yeah, these are, these are great questions. And uh, to the best of our ability, we believe that uh, the semiconductor industry is somewhere even potentially in the early innings uh, to perhaps mid-cycle with respect to some of the massive secular growth trends that, that we see really powering a semiconductor super cycle that could last, you know, three plus years. And, you know, there are shortages, as you mentioned, that will cause significant volatility in the short term, potentially with respect to inventory corrections, um, undersupply followed by oversupply. But each of these shortages is, um, in very specific types of semiconductors, such as microcontrollers and things like that. And so it's very important to study the details and understand the, the supply uh, dynamics uh, for each type of semiconductor. But to take a step back, you know, again, these long-term secular growth themes are very strong. And uh, in particular, semiconductors are foundational to enabling cloud computing, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, um, automation and robotics, uh, blockchain, and all of these like really strong uh, technology trends. We also believe that the uh, the supply that's being added will take time, and that that's why the the um, shortages are persisting so long. Is we have kind of a uh, uh, a simultaneous strong demand in every end market that semiconductors address, whether it's automotive, industrial, or the more traditional computer and smartphone end markets with the companies uh, and countries adding capacity over the next uh, two to three years, that really takes time for that to roll into place. And it's very positive perhaps for the uh, semiconductor capital equipment suppliers. It's very positive for companies that provide uh, specialty materials to the semiconductor industry and so forth. So 
you know, we're very actually positive about the secular trends, cautious about the cyclical, uh, you know, mid-cycle correction possibility given the undersupply currently. And so it's uh, very much a bottoms-up approach to trying to pick the stocks that are best positioned to navigate this environment. Well, and I think that's exactly the point. Again, when we think about the consequences of the of the lockdowns and the pandemic, you've had this significant marginal increase in demand in all these areas that have now become digitized, and then ultimately many of them requiring semiconductors, which we just don't don't have enough of. Let me switch to another topic, uh, also an area where we're seeing a lot of development, huge amount of growth, but also an area where I imagine a lot of people might be. A bit confused. So I'm talking about blockchain. For the uninitiated, perhaps you could explain a little bit uh, kind of what it is as far as investors are concerned, what they should be thinking about, what they should be paying attention to, and really ultimately, how can they participate in this if they don't want to take part of their retirement money and put it into Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, great question. And this is probably the the fastest evolving uh, part of innovative technology today. Uh, and so, uh, as you may know, blockchain is the uh, the technology behind uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but it also has a growing array of other very significant applications. And blockchain essentially is um, a database technology. So it's, it's, um, it's uh, very much uh, in line with um, historical trends, except this is a very highly distributed database that enables uh, things like cryptocurrency. And I do think on that front, um, I think a lot of the initial emphasis has been on Bitcoin because it was early. I think it first came out in 2009 and has developed since then. And with Bitcoin, um, there's a lot of uh, positives, but also a lot of potential negatives. And so as a store of value, it's uh, very questionable that Bitcoin is the best thing to invest in because it's really not backed by anything. And so one of the trends you're seeing is a trend towards stable coins, which is basically a cryptocurrency that, that's backed by some other physical asset and also at the extreme government issued uh, crypto. So central bank digital currencies. And so I think that they'll, you'll see a, a kind of a shift in focus in the market um, perhaps away from Bitcoin and towards uh, some of these other stable coins and government issued coins. Another very interesting application of blockchain is NFTs or non-fungible tokens. And this is a way to use the blockchain to track all kinds of assets, including artwork, sports memorabilia, and even goods flowing through the supply chain. There's quite a bit of innovation going on in this area, and it's an important space to watch uh, for future developments. The third area that stands out is uh, called decentralized finance. And so uh, there are platforms out there like Ethereum, uh, which enable smart contracts where it's a direct relationship between two parties without uh, the transactions having to go through uh, middlemen or, or intermediaries. And so these trends have the potential to really change uh, the landscape of the financial services industry. Um, but there's also a lot of questions about how to safeguard consumers and you know what kind of regulations uh, might need to be 
developed to um, ensure a safe kind of operation of these systems. And I'm curious, do you think there should be more supervision on the blockchain segment in general, or would that slow down the development and the innovation that we're seeing? I think it's quite possible. So, for example, in the United States, I think the um, the Security and Exchange Commission has made inquiries into some of these uh, exchanges, you know, uh, cryptocurrency exchange companies, as well as some of the platform co- companies, and is trying to understand um, to the extent that these companies could issue or do issue securities, uh, whether it be loans or other types of securities backed by the uh, or controlled by the blockchain, you know, those uh, may need to be registered with the SEC and so forth. And so I do think um, there's many avenues for regulation. You know, historically, uh, blockchain, unfortunately, has been used um, in the dark areas of the Internet and of society for, you know, laundering money and, and paying for illegal activity and so forth. And so there really needs to be an effort to regulate many of these transactions. And so there is the risk that that could slow the development over time and also end up picking winners and losers. Well, thanks very much, Pamela. That was was fascinating. And really, uh, any one of those topics would, would deserve its own podcast. We'll, we'll see what we can do in the future. If I can summarize perhaps some of what you shared with us on the U.S. technology front. Uh, interestingly, you pointed out that's one of the few areas where you do have at least some bipartisan consensus that the sector does need to be regulated more, but exactly what form that regulation takes. Uh, Again, you have uh, significant differences between the two parties. In China, uh, one advantage perhaps of of having a more centrally controlled government is that regulations can be imposed much more quickly than in the U.S. where things are are stuck in committee. Uh, You pointed out that the government does seem to be concerned about social issues and equality, uh, and consequently you anticipate seeing more regulations coming out of the government in the future. But the challenge that the government faces is the need to, on one hand, balance uh, the desire that they have for uh, achieving social issues, equality issues, but at the same time not stifling the innovation that they need within the industry. For semiconductors, uh, it seems to be that we're in the early to mid-cycle of a secular growth trend that could lead us to a super cycle. Uh, so that's certainly the opportunity, but at the same time, you anticipate some cyclical challenges and some volatility. So as always, very important uh, to identify the companies that are in the best position to take advantage of the secular growth trend. And then finally, around blockchain, you pointed out uh, really the broad scope of its applications. It's not just about uh, bitcoins uh, and cryptocurrencies. There are stable coins that are being developed where the technology is backed by some sort of asset. Another big area of innovation is non-fungible tokens, as well as decentralized finance. I anticipate we'll see a whole lot more innovation in these areas. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you would like more information, please check out our Investors Corner blog or reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. I'd like to thank Pamela for sharing her insights today. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you so much, Daniel. It was a pleasure to speak with you and and with the uh, listeners. Please join us in two weeks when I'll be speaking with Vincent Nichols about our emerging market equities. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management.
Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.